Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy-to-use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years, and we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Builder Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction, and we are on board. To learn more about how Build-A-Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build-A-Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. Who's your audience? What's the call to action? What problem are you trying to solve by creating this video? We see so many clients come to us with... I have to create a video because the algorithm says so, and they haven't thought through, well, what does your audience care about? And I know it might hurt somebody's feelings, but they don't care about you. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the AT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt, and we have Ian and Lynn on with us. Welcome. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Super good. It's been a little too long. I'm having, uh, um, you know, it's been too long. I'm having, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Why am I losing my train of thought? But Anyways, it's been too long since we've been hanging out, you know, back in Iowa. So, yeah, it was yeah. that was what a month, a couple of months ago, a couple months ago. Now? Yeah. yeah, it was in the middle of the hot summer, and <laughs> you were joking that it wasn't hot, and we were all melting in Iowa. It, it, so. Yeah, that's easy lifting in Iowa. It's actually kind of a mild week weird though, too. So, <laughs> but it's good to be on here. So, just a quick intro: Lynn Melling, she's the founder, content strategist, director, and producer of Five One Five Productions, and we have Ian Planchin, who's also founder and creative director. So I'm excited to have you both on because um, I think I mentioned this to you when we're out there on the shoot with Pella and that's kind of the background. We're out in Iowa. Um, and what's interesting is I've been on a lot of these shoots before and it's not that everyone's not professional, but I was just blown away by the organization, the production, the coordination, the planning, um, the chemistry. Uh, in fact, I think Ian could be a part-time actor because he was giving us some acting advice. I, <laughs> I could take all the lessons I guess. So um <laughs> I, maybe we start here because I know a big part of your brand. You've worked with some amazing brands that all of us know from Red Bull to Pella and many others. But uh, cinematic storytelling, what is that? That's wow. a big question right Such off the a, bat. And thank you for asking the question because it's a really big, um, I think it's something that is still kind of evolving. Um, and brands are now just beginning to understand the power of it. Um so it's, yeah, I think it's something that's long been reserved for film, like a movie, um, but we're starting to see brands becoming um, more attuned and more and, and savvier, more sophisticated with how they use cinematic storytelling for their um, brand messaging purposes and building trust with an audience. Um, so, but yeah, what are your... I think for us, it's, oh, it, it started as technology was becoming so accessible for everyone. Like there used to be a time when it was like virtually impossible to break into the industry and make good looking films because it was really expensive. Um, that's why there was movie studios and, you know, there was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to make these things happen. Um, but when we started talking about cinematic storytelling for 515 Productions, it was because these tools were accessible all of a sudden, like cameras became cheaper like still they're expensive but they're cheaper than than what they used to be and you were able to to achieve these looks and tell these stories in a bigger way than you used to be able to um so you know it used to be you had to have what we would call beta cam which was like kind of the gold standards for video production um but it looked like tv um and the next thing you know all of a sudden there's these cameras that are available to us that look like movies and so we could focus on telling a cool story and also shooting beautiful imagery that looked like movies you know but it was at our fingertips all of a sudden so that's kind of where we were like well you know we have this ability we need to start bringing these to our clients as well because they have such an awesome story we might as well make it look like a movie too and then more people are going to watch and be engaged and you know want to be part of the process yeah and i think something too for our background so we both have a tv news background so we grew up 
in a TV newsroom where storytelling you know, was part of our everyday way of life, where we were telling stories um, from a journalistic point of view. And that's where we cut our teeth in, in the whole storytelling realm, um, you know, finding a good character, you know, kind of the act one, act two, act three. Um, and then, so, you know, I, and we spent a lot of time um, learning that way. And so now we're, we, we feel really lucky to be able to, to work with brands and kind of do a brand storytelling, um, you know, approach where we help brands and organizations tell their stories through more of a act one, act two, act three approach versus, um, you know, corporate marketing videos, which we've, we've all seen, everyone has seen a corporate marketing video and there's nothing wrong with them. Um, <laughs> they've become formulaic. Um, I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, they were sort of a new shiny object and now they've become very formulaic run of the mill. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. So we're really trying to help our clients understand the importance of breaking out, you know, break away from the noise, tell a story. That's really a way to stand out um, and get your message across and really uh, help an audience know you and trust you and relate to you. It's interesting because I, I've seen brands change and I know you're part of this, like the, what's upcoming and, you know, it's going to be really soon that we're working together is going to be really unique. And I got a little sneak peek, which is amazing because it's unlike any other content that I've seen produced, you know, especially from some of these brands. Do you feel you had a unique advantage, especially working with the brands now because of your journalistic background, because you were in, you know, TV newsroom, you know, how, maybe how did that prepare you and how different is it now that you're kind of on your entrepreneurship journey? Hmm. Uh, so with using that project in particular, we have the advantage because we can look ahead to what the story needs to be, but also what is going to be the problem with production, right? So we knew that we had a very limited time with you guys and we knew that we had a lot to do. And so it's like, how do we best achieve this? And so it, it came, that came down to just, like Lynn mentioned, our news days, everything had to be produced in a day and not just in a day. It had to be produced in hours. Right. And you had a very limited amount of time and then it had to be done by 5 p.m. Right. And so we have that advantage of knowing how to work with severe time constraints. We don't like to do it, but we know how to do it. And so you we just kind of make it uh, it's a there's a there's a time constraint, but we know how to still extrapolate as much from that as we can and get as much footage as possible. And I think news has definitely helped us with yeah. that. Yeah, well, and I think too, like, um, as people will soon see with these videos that we worked with you on, I mean, there's kind of one main video and we're, I don't think I'm ruining any surprises here, but there's one main video and then there's three sort of other videos that kind of spin off of it. And we were able to shoot all four videos really in a matter of a couple of days and they all sort of integrate and work together um, so it's really an efficient way of using time. And I think that's something from TV news, like TV newsrooms are lean, mean content machines. And so I think that's something that we, we know how to make the most use of every single minute. And um, I think what comes out of the shoot that we did with you kind of shows that it's, you know, figuring out how do you mix and match these different components and make and slice and dice it up into multiple different um, in, into multiple different videos that you can then distribute to various audiences. Well, I'd imagine there has to be, again, we hadn't worked together, so I'm sure going into it, you kind of have an idea of how long certain shoots will take and to get the lines right and the setting. And so you have to have some buffer in there. And what was fascinating to me, and this is an analogy for me as a builder is, you know, I look at when we build these complex homes, there's, you know, if we don't plan properly in the beginning stages, especially in that year, two years before we break ground, uh, we're going to have issues. You know, you can't improvise. Um, it, it's too complex. The, the jobs are too big. You know, designers, architects are the same. If, if you have the time to plan. And, and so from your side, what I found really unique is everything was super organized. I looked at the, um, the filming schedule and, you know, the amount of time and planning, I'm sure is a huge resource. What goes into just hmm. understanding the scope of work, now putting into a schedule and then essentially putting together a timeline or scope of work or schedule, you know, for us. Right. That, so all organizational facts are attributed to Lynn. Um, so she is the, or the planner, the organizer, but I will say this project from the get go, we've been working on it for nine months now. Right. So we, the concept came a long time ago. 
Um, but once, once you and, uh, Mark got attached to it, we knew that we had that, that, like I said, that limited amount of time. Um, the problem was we knew that the bulk of it was going to be ad lib. And at that moment I told our client, I said, look, three days isn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> like I was worried about that amount of time. And she said, three days is all we got. <laughs> and so again, that comes back to that. Okay. Well, we have a set amount of time. How are we going to do this in that set amount of time? And that's when I, I'm. Uh, our client and I, we had been going back and forth about the shots and what the storyline was going to be. And then I sat down with Lynn and we talked about the storyline and how we're going to pull this off with these three days. And it literally is minute by minute by minute. Um, and it's Lynn... again, and I had the, I had the joy of being the bad cop with my, with my patch <laughs> on, which I'm not wearing today, but I had to preface to everyone. Like, I don't want to be the bad guy, but we gotta, yeah, if we're going to hit all these scenes we have to stay on schedule so there were a couple i think only a couple of moments where i had to mm -hmm. like kind of get people in line but um but i just have to say thank you for calling out the analogy about like architecture and building because i often i often talk about like when you're building a marketing communications plan when you're building when you're talking about videos it truly is like building a blueprint like build it like it's like the architecture you ha you have to have that blueprint in place before you can go build the thing. And I don't think there's a lot of um, awareness about that. I think, you know, uh, most folks think, okay, we're going to shoot a video, just show up, point your camera, turn it on, hit record, done. But there's so much that goes into the planning. And if you want to have it really um, get the biggest bang for your buck on the back end, if you can plan ahead, you can get so much more out of it and get so much, so many more distribution channels involved. You know, it doesn't have to just go on YouTube. You can use it for, you know, multiple social media channels, email, internal communications. Um, I also, I worked in corporate communications for a while. So I kind of have that lens too, of how can you distribute this content? Like it's one thing to create a really beautiful video it's, it's another thing though, to put it in places where people are going to see it and then share it because that's how you get eyeballs on it. So it's, yeah. it's really valuable. Lynn. I mean, and, and both of you mentioned the concept to reality and, and as you're speaking about that, I'm thinking, okay, so many clients will call me and be like, okay, Brad, how long does it take to build a house? Right. How, you know, and I walk through them through pre-construction and construction, just being realistic, painting the picture. And, you know, it's really easy where clients will be like, well, I can make that decision later or, you know, we'll figure that out down the road. And, you know, internally, I'm thinking like these alarms are going off. Like, no, <laughs> you, you, you may know what you want or what the goal of the production, the video is going to be. But me, who's trying to interpret it, interpret what's in your mind and make sure that I'm executing that. Well, there has to be a certain amount of, you know, diagnostics or information that I'm extracting from you, putting down on paper or scheduling. And so essentially that's what you're doing. You're working with the brand. You're trying to figure out the storytelling you're mentioning. You're trying to figure out concept to reality. You know, I, I, I know this will vary depending on how complicated the shoot is, but, you know, speak to maybe that. I, I think most people don't realize for a build of our magnitude, we're spending a year in design and pre-construction and planning. What does that look like before actual shoot day? You know, that pre-construction, if you will, that pre-design, pre-execution time for you in production? Yeah. I mean, it was eight months. It was it was eight months of, of of just going through so many different versions of scripts and and concepting. Okay, like the biggest the one of the things we wanted to do is shoot in a cold environment. Like there's the yep. whole the whole storyline, and we won't get into it too much because it hasn't dropped yet. But you you live in a hot place. Mark lives in a cold place, and so we wanted to shoot in a cold environment. And so there's only a limited amount of time for you to do that in real life, right? And so the we initially wanted to get this done in the early spring when there's still snow on the ground, but that just wasn't happening. Uh, so then, you know, you have to kind of pivot, but it legitimately took about eight months of pre-planning and concepting and script writing and storyboarding and, and, uh, and, and planning all the shots and getting the talent and getting the crew. And, and that's one thing with, with our company, we have a dedicated group of people that we tap for just about every single, you guys are the same way. I'm sure you have the same contractors that you go to because you know, those contractors will produce every single time. Um, and if you have a client who calls you and says, Hey, we want this amazing house built. You say, okay, well, my crew's not ready. You know, they're working on another project. So we're gonna have to push just a little bit. And that happened a few times with us. The schedule just wasn't right for the whole crew to be ready to work. And, and luckily, you know, everyone's schedules kind of worked out in the end and we got the whole crew together. Um, but it's a long process. Um, one thing I'll add as well is we, we've been seeing, um, it was, it was funny that you mentioned like 
building a house, how long it's going to take. You know, we want to know all the exact details. What, we, what we've been noticing a lot too is people say, hey, we want like to build a house or to make this video. Um, and it needs to be done by this date because we've already sold the ad <laughs> or we've already, we've already sold the house. And you're like, well, you don't have it yet. So maybe let's not, let's not get it out. Let's not sell the space for it. Um, and so we do, we do kind of caution against that a little bit when it's like, let's let the creative get done before we start selling off the pieces. Um, you know, like a house, you can't sell that right away. I mean, I guess you can, but yeah, you know, we struggle with that a little bit. <laughs> well, and I think too, even just backing up further with when you talk about like concepting, you know, I think it's important to, you know, for, for people who are listening to this to think about too, like, who's your audience? What's the call to action? What problem are you trying to solve by creating this video? We see so many clients come to us with, I have to create a video because the algorithm says so, and they haven't thought through, well, what, what is the video? Or they think they have an idea for a video, but it's not really going to speak to the audience that they're trying to reach. And so thinking about like, what does your audience care about? And I know it might hurt somebody's feelings, but they don't care about you. (laughs) Your audience cares about their family, their neighborhood, their community, things that are in their lives. They don't care about the brand. So what story can you tell that's going to move them in a way that's going to you so to inspire them to do the thing that you want them to do, which is to be aware of your brand or to be an advocate or a fan of your brand. So I think that's really important too, is just remembering who are you talking to and what do they want to hear and what's going to be a memorable, like what's going to stick in their brain? What story can you tell that they're going to remember five minutes from now? Um, Because attention spans are short and there's a lot of other brands out there competing for their attention. So being really thoughtful about the content that you're putting out there and making sure it's a good, valuable use of their two to five minutes um, is really important. It's interesting you said that, Lynn, because both you and Ian speaking is, is funny because I just saw a thing over the weekend and talked about you know, in America, we're pretty fortunate, you know, that you can start businesses, you know, you can become entrepreneurs, you know, essentially, a lot of us had that opportunity. And essentially, the core, there were three things that were like the core to being a successful entrepreneur. And one is what you're speaking about is that essentially, you're either creating a product or a service, you know, there's a call to action, there's, there's something you're providing or doing fee service product, whatever, maybe. Number two, you're helping, you know, that product or service is either solving pain points for a customer it's making their life better. I mean, there's something that you're resolving. And the third thing is passion about what you do, which anyone listening can see your passion. So if you have a product or a service, if you, it solves pain points and you can advertise that and market that, which is what you're doing. And then you're passionate about it, essentially at the core and you've hit those on without even watching the same video. I watched this video, which is kind of funny. Um, how does that relate to you? Just your passion, because you have to be passionate. I would imagine your entrepreneurship journey. It's not easy. Like what makes you say, okay, I have this great job in the newsroom. I believe you're both in Alaska. Now we're going to go off on our own. We have family, like moving states. Like it's, I mean, there's a lot of complexities with what you did. I, I think all of what we've done with 515 Productions has been reactionary towards towards Lynn moving out of Alaska. We were <laughs> dating at the time. Uh, and then she got this job, a great job opportunity in Iowa. And so I was like, well, I'd love to move with you. And so I followed her. Uh, and that was the start of it. Like we moved to Iowa, the, uh, the news stories that I was used to shooting in Alaska weren't quite in Iowa and I just wasn't feeling news in Iowa. Um, so we decided to start 515 productions and that, that it literally was not something we planned. It just kind of happened. And, you know, it's like, Oh, we'll see what happens. And it just, everything just fell into place. Um, I am very much a person that's just like, we're going to do it. We're going to see what happens and it'll be just fine. And then, opposes that quite a bit we're, but that's <laughs> how, how the magic happens <laughs> um but yeah but uh, yeah i'm extremely fortunate that she was was very open to you know going along for the ride and like you said it was not easy in the beginning it was every every business has struggles in the beginning um but we have been extremely fortunate with our company that every client we've had you know well, not every most clients we've had have been amazing groups of people to work with and and it, it keeps us passionate about telling those stories. And as long as we continue down the path of we just want to tell good stories and we're not just here to advertise, that keeps us passionate because we can approach every single project as what's the story you want to tell? 
and how can we tell it? Um, and if, you know, if, if in the end they're like, well, we're actually just looking for something flashy, we can do that. Um, but at least we still get to tell cool stories from time to time and that keeps us passionate. Yeah. Well, I should, I think too, I mean, so Ian grew up in Alaska and, you know, it, talking, it's a beautiful place. It's like living in a postcard. And um, I think, you know, his background was really, you know, skiing movies, biking movies, outdoor adventure. Um, and that's something that I've always loved too. So I think, I think that connection to the outdoors, we do a lot of storytelling outside about nature, about the environment. I think, um, you know, we care about, you know, the planet. And so I think that's also something that we, you know, I'm still a journalist at heart and, you know, I want to save the world. And so being able to retain a little bit of that in our professional lives, you know, telling stories about, we, we did a documentary film about um, Lake Superior and surfers in Lake Superior. And um, a big part of it was about um, the impact of climate change on Lake Superior. So just being able to even do those types of passion projects while we're still working with clients is um, just helps keep us passionate about what we're doing. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects so for anyone any scale any size they're the ones to call they're here local you know they have an amazing instagram make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing so if you need windows and doors give sammy and adam a call we stand behind pella we love what they do their culture their brand and especially their quality and if you want to learn more about pella windows check our show notes we'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out I love that because for me as a builder, same thing. There's some passion projects we have. And we've been fortunate. We did the National Home of the Year, which was super exciting because, you know, it's off the grid. It's sustainable, you know, low carbon. I mean, just a lot of things are pretty unique about the build to make it energy efficient. So you're not using a ton of resources to power the home because we're consuming as much energy as we produce. And we've been fortunate now to have a few other projects. And so I can definitely relate where it keeps the fire burning, if you will. One thing I've had a hard time even preparing to have you both on. And again, I don't want you to share any pricing or cost, and that's not the question here. But what's what's really complicated, or at least complicated to me, is that as a builder, you know, as I'm walking through clients, I have a pretty good database of here's what it costs to build a home, especially in this style, this architecture, you know, these finishes. You know, we've done enough over time. For you, especially listening now, the amount of pre-production that went in just on our filming, you know, you have eight, nine months. So for you two, you're, and it varies. I'm sure you have some productions that, you know, maybe call the remodel three or four months, so maybe 12, so maybe two years. And so you have the creative storytelling, as you mentioned, the cinematic storytelling, you have the script and schedule and you're coordinating your subcontractors and partners, and then you have the filming and then editing. So you have this huge bandwidth of like three phases, call it. How, how do you put your arms around just, and I'm sure that's evolved, you know, from when you first started the challenge of making sure that you're being paid your value to now, you know, how do you put your arms around putting together a bid or package for your clients you're working for. Yeah. I mean, it all, it all comes down to every single project's different, right? Just like every single home is different. Um, and it's something that you have to be pretty straightforward with the client in the beginning and be like, this is a very big project. And, you know, and they'll come and say, Hey, here's the budget we have. And you can say, well, that's, that's not going to work, <laughs> you know? Um, and in this case, it, it, it was a, it's a project that it obviously keeps expanding and keeps growing. And every time it expands and grows, then the cost goes up a little bit here and there. Um, but there are, like you said, there are exactly three different phases to that project. There's your pre-production, there's your production, there's your post-production. Um, so really you just look at it as what's it going to take to plan this, uh, how many days slash months slash years, and you just kind of add that total up. And then your production, 
that one's a fairly easy price to come up with because you know exactly how many people are required to do the job. Now, again, that scales. Like with our project, we had 25-something people on set. Um, typically, we work with five. Um, and so obviously that number kind of ballooned up, but it's required due to the amount of time we had. We had to have a large group to get things done quickly. Um, and then uh, post-production is all just based on how many hours it's going to take us to edit it and then how many, pro how many videos are going to come out on the back end, right? So we have four videos here, but then there's your social cutdowns and all those things that, that happen. Um, so it's just knowing the basics and then just kind of expanding upon it yeah. just a little bit. <laughs> it can be really overwhelming, yeah. you know, and truly like, I, you know, if anybody's listening to this has, you know, questions, you know, we're happy to talk through it or any, you know, if you approach a video vendor, you should feel very comfortable to ask questions about the cost. I think some people think that they're just supposed to, take whatever number they're given, but there's lots of opportunity for conversation about meeting a budget. I mean, we offer high-end um, video quality. And so sometimes our you know, clients will come to us and we're not the right fit. They just need something shot on a cell phone. Um, you know, there, there is a, that's not our jam, but there is a time and a place for it. Um, you know, if you're a scrappy startup, you know, a smartphone video might work. So um, I think there's a very much a sliding scale in terms of like, what do you want the look feel to be? And that's something that um, I, from a, you know, creative development standpoint, I don't see a lot of brands have brand guidelines um, around video. They have a lot of brand guidelines around fonts and Pantone color and logos, which is great. Um, even copy, but there's not a lot of, um, Pre, you know, prior discussion about like, what do we want the video to look, feel, you know, if you're a bougie brand, your video needs to look and feel and sound bougie. If you're a, if you're a scrappy startup, maybe not so much. So I think that's also, um, that factors into the cost. If, you know, you need a high quality film camera and, you know, a couple of audio engineers to make sure that you get that crisp quality, that's going to be more expensive than if you shoot it on a smartphone. So, um, but yeah, there's, it's, it's a very wide wide range but ask don't be afraid to ask questions you know like as you if, if you're someone looking to get into getting a video produced don't there there are no stupid questions um and people should feel comfortable to ask them the uh the uh, there's a phrase that was told to me a long long time ago and I, i'm hoping i'm getting it right but it's the most simplistic way to explain a budget and it was good cheap fast pick two right and, and I'm sure you guys have had something similar like that, but it's like, you know, you can have good and fast, but it's not going to be cheap or you can have good and cheap, but it won't be fast. And it's like, you, you, those are your options. And, and you just have to think carefully about what exactly you want out of the video coming from the client's perspective. Um, and then understand what you're asking and understand that what you're asking has a price. Um, and if you want it to be fast, you want it to be good, then you're going to have to expect it to be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. it's a, I, I love that analogy because it's so applicable to me. Right. And it's yeah. the same conversation I have with my clients. What's unique for us too, is, you know, there's so many variables just like you're dealing with. And as I'm thinking through the prior, you know, for me, occasionally you get a client that's like, Hey, I want what I want. I understand the value, the cost, and maybe they built before, maybe they have good understanding. So they, they have call it there's not as much sticker shock maybe and then you have others that you know like many of us we want what we want then the price comes in we're like whoa okay yeah. mm -hmm. you know how often when you're working with your partners i, I would imagine there's a range that hey they, they have a big wish list of what they're asking for that's put on paper it's like okay well now we have to value engineer this or look at this you know creatively i mean how often is that process going through from just the coordination and contract perspective from the beginning I mean, all, all the time, every single project, even if you have a, uh, a repeat client, the, the topic of how much is this going to cost us? <laughs> how much do we value this? It always comes up. Right. Um, and, and there's going to be projects with each client where they, they see the value and they have a budget. And then there's going to be somewhere they're like, we just don't have the budget, um, but we do need the video. Um, and, and for us, I think for new clients, especially, it's always just about that initial conversation and making sure that they're able to get you know, all their wishes and needs on the table. And we can tell them, here's how we'd approach this. And we might not be the cheapest, but here's, here's what it might run. And it's okay to say, sorry, this isn't going to work. And that's the thing. Like if you're offended by that, you know, on either side of the spectrum, if the client's offended by that, or you as a production are, are offended by them being offended by that, then it wasn't a good fit. And this is when, when it's all said and done, the dream scenario is to have a client that is a great friend, but it is still a business. And as long as everyone treats it that way, then you can have really good communication about what those budgets are and what to expect from the project. 
And I think that's the most important. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if you get a friend out of it, awesome. <laughs> yeah, which we've been very fortunate yeah. to do over the years. Yeah. yeah. But I think too, I mean, I think like in terms of pre-production, a lot of it does boil down to hours. You know, if, if you can, um, you know, if, if they want an elaborate storyboard that takes time and time is money. So finding ways, you know, there are ways to be efficient with time. Also approvals, something that often doesn't, come up is on the back end during the edit, you know, approval process can take a long time. Again, that comes down to hours. So if, you, if the client can come up with a streamlined approval process, so it's just a couple of rounds of edits, that saves a lot of time on the back end. And that's something that we try to help kind of coach our clients through is to say, okay, let's come up with a streamlined approval process so we can do this quickly and efficiently. It'll save you time and money and also get your video published more quickly and out into the world. Um, so we, we do try to find, and so, you know, sometimes we'll have a client come to us with a big, you know, pie in the sky idea. And, you know, we <laughs> hate to talk ourselves out of work, but sometimes we'll say, well, you know, here are some ways that we could do this much more simply, much more, you know, quickly, effectively. So we, we have, have been scale known, that down a little bit. Yeah, we have been known <laughs> to do that where we can say, you don't need all this. This is, this is too much for what, what will be effective. Yeah. It's really good advice because the reality is I think that's the value you're given is that, you know, sometimes you may have a client that you just know you're not a right fit and putting them in the right direction. It may not be for either of you. They may call me and say, hey, Brad, we want you to our home. But I know that AFT, it's not our bread and butter and put them in the right direction. Sometimes yeah. you win. You know, there's a lot more value add than just trying to force myself into a box to something that I'm not normally doing. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, I think this is really interesting, the approval process, because anyone that's worked with brands and content may not factor in that aspect, you know, the approvals, the editing, Hey, I spent all this time recording. I've edited, I sent it back. And now, no, you got to reshoot or read this. That's really difficult for you because where you have three days, let's say Mark and I, or whoever are filming, you have to make sure you have all the content. It's right. How, how does that play a role? Just understanding the approval process before you shoot. That, I mean, that one's a tricky one. Cause it really comes down to the client that they need to, fully grasp what we're trying to tell them. Right. And so, um, with our shoot specifically, we're fortunate that our client does understand those concepts and they, they're really good about that. But if you, if you, as the production company are saying, Hey, we got these three days, these are the critical items we have to get. Um, and if we don't get them, we're not getting them ever. And they don't quite understand that you're in a tough spot because you'll get into the edit and then it's happened where they'll be like, hey, what about that that line where they need to say, and we buy this product every single time? And you're like, well, <laughs> we had to scrap that because we had no time. And they say, well, can we record it again? You're like, well, no, we can't because they're not here anymore. They're gone. <laughs> and it's when they don't understand that concept that things go really bad. Um, and so having a, a, a client who, um, uh, who grasps that and understands that there are going to be items that have to get cut because of time and there's going to be no time to ever get them again and just be okay with that. Um, that's, that's a good relationship to have. Um, but when you, when you have someone who doesn't understand that, it, it, that's when things end badly. <laughs> yeah. So, so to that point, I mean, are you typically requiring that they have like a legal person, especially where there's maybe certain language that they're saying that are on set? We, we don't require it, but we, we just want to make sure that everyone understands that whatever happens on the day happened on the day. Right. And, and you need to, you need to be okay with that because when we get into the edit bay and we have all this footage and then they start coming up with these things that they envisioned or imagined that we shot, it's like, no, we didn't do that. <laughs> and it's like, you, I don't know where you came up with that, but we didn't do it. Um, and so it is, it is good to have legal there, but that's not always a guarantee that you're going to get the approval you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, just yeah. Isn't. Well, and I think too, some, that's something that, you know, we try to coach our clients on too, is like when you're in the, when you're in the concept stage, you know, if, if it's more of a scripted, you know, if you're reading off a teleprompter, for example, having legal way in before you even get out to production to make sure that, Hey, cause that, that has, it happens much more often than many realize is that, you know, and there, there's so many key stakeholders too. If you're in a highly matrixed organization, you know, there's a lot of different key stakeholders. And so before you get to production, you know, during the pre-production phase, you know, if you, if you're an internal client, like 
figure out who are the other key stakeholders that might have to see this video and sign off on it and get them involved during pre-production so they can call out any, you know, warning signs. Um, you know, if there's something in a script that needs to be changed for legal reasons, do it in pre-pro. So when you get to production on the day, whatever goes on tape is on tape. And then you get to post-production, it's too late to change anything unless you want to reshoot it, which happens sometimes. So getting, getting the buy-in of all the key stakeholders ahead of time is really, really important. Um, and, and in terms of, yeah, being efficient. And that also helps in the, in the post-production and the approval process. Like you've already established who are the decision makers so they can make that approval process much more streamlined. But then also one, one other thing is they need to understand that what, what they're deciding eight months ago is really important and they shouldn't just be like, ah, well, you know, it looks great. We'll, 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 we're fine with that. And then on the day, have a problem with it, right? Like their, their approval is needs to be concrete and it needs to be something that, that is, is bound to the future um, because we're relying on their approval to get the job done eight months later. Right. And so if you run into that, um, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is it can't be just so like, yeah, yeah, let's just kick the can down the road, but for now it's fine. Um, like actually getting solid approval that everyone understands what, what we're saying right now is going to happen on screen and grasping that concept is pretty critical. It's funny. It actually excites me a little bit just hearing the conversations because too many times, this is why like I require interior designers on my projects because, you know, for me, my protection is maybe it's like your legal approval process because essentially finishes have been approved. They've been selected. They understand, especially with natural products, there's variation. What they see in a picture in a room may be different, you know, so they've seen like a wide range of samples. And there's so many things where, to your point, Ian, where you're like, well, that would have been helpful to know yesterday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> like a cl classic line from like wedding singer something, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but what's interesting, you mentioned this early on, Lynn, the storyboard is that essentially what you're trying to do is create this storyboard. What does that look like from your side? Because ideally, whether you have legal or not there to approve, you're essentially trying from a script and production to make sure everyone's on the same page. We're going to shoot now. We can shoot, we can edit and move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, 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 there's two different ways to go about it. I mean, there's, so there's very high, there's highly scripted um, productions. So for instance, in, in the video that we did with you, which was very much ad-libbed, but it was still scripted. Um, you know, that's the script needs to be there and kind of match, you know, figure out what's the visual, what's going to be said. But then there's also sort of that documentary style, news gathering style video, um, which we, we love doing that as well. And so that storyboard is a process is a little bit different, but it's equally as important. It's figuring out, okay, what are the key messages that we need to make sure that we say in this video? What sound bites do we need? If, if we're interviewing someone, the interview subject, what do we need them to say? So when we get to post-production, we have the string of sound bites that make story make sense. And then to back it up even further, what question does do we need to ask the interview subject to make sure that they say the thing that's going to string out into a story in post-production? So it is very much a reverse engineering of what do we want this to look like in post-production? What are the key messages that we need the audience to hear? And how do we get the people on camera to say it in a way that's natural and authentic and compelling. Um, so coming up with the questions, thinking through, yeah, what are the, what's the shot sheet? What are the visuals that are going to match what this person is saying? But, um, but then also being comfortable with the fact that when you show up on production day, especially for a news gathering sort of documentary style uh, project, every, it's all, you know, all bets are off. You can do the best that you can, but if that interview subject is having a tough day, or if there's, you know, if it's raining and you thought it was going to be sunny, like there's just, there's a lot of different variables that can happen too. So having a crew that's experienced and knows how to problem solve on the fly is so, so important. Um, but also with those highly produced I mean, I think when with the shoot that we were on with you, I mean, there were a number of times when things didn't go according to plan because nothing ever goes according to plan on a location, on a, on a shoot. So having a crew that has, you know, a whole toolbox full of gear and straps and, you know, people who just can make things happen on the fly is, is, is necessary. Um, because <laughs> yeah, you can plan all you want, but there's always going to be something that, happens um i'm trying to remember at the shoot with pella i mean i think there was like a 
you know, there was a couple of times where we couldn't be in a certain room that we thought we were going to be oh, in. Oh, I had a for, tour. Yeah, for reasons outside <laughs> of our control. You know, so it's those those things that you just you think you've planned for everything, but there's so many moving parts that there's going to be something that's overlooked. So you have to be flexible and roll with it. So. Or landscapers mowing the lawn outside, or yeah. yes, <laughs> which are, is happening right now, actually, in our backyard. Yeah. So yeah. sorry for that. <laughs> no, we and and I think anyone listening can understand because even as much as you plan, it's just you know we build homes and every day is complex. I mean, there's a lot of projects and you know issues come up, material shortages, delays. I mean, and mm -hmm. you're trying to work around it for the value add when you're meeting with the client because I think this is what's most fascinating is that. Um, you know, it's one thing for the potential customer. I'm your potential customer. I'm like, okay, Lynn and Ian, I've seen the video content. It's incredible, you know, um, very unique. And, you know, you've done a phenomenal job just building your production company. The separator, though, isn't just the end result, but it's also the experience, right? What is my client experience working with you, working through production, seeing the organization? How, you know, for you, as you have built your company, how do you set that value add for the client to understand that, hey, when we get Lynn and Ian, this is, you know, A plus service or organized, a storyboard, the, the on field, the, the direction, because I mentioned that that was unique. My experience was like, wow, this is, you know, this is legit. Like this is a, the, the real deal here. And I was really impressed. And I think, oh, thank you. Yeah. From like any builder who's or, or a customer that's worked with the builder that may have built certain homes and then they work with this builder and they're like, wow, their processes are dead on their systems their communication. The client experience is totally different. How do you sell that? How do you how do you create that image for a new customer that may not have worked with you? Right. We don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, so I have lots of spreadsheets. I'm kind of, I'm a type A. I'm a one on the Enneagram. I'm very much hyper-focused on details. And um, I think a benefit that I have and a value that I bring is that I've, I've worked uh, in an agency. I worked in a PR agency for a number of years. I was a corporate communications manager for a number of years. I worked in TV news. So I know how the sausage is made in a lot of different areas. I know the internal pain points that a lot of our clients face. And so being able to take action to help take things off their plates, because it is, it's an investment of time. If you're an internal content team and you hire an external video partner to help you, that's time that you have to take out of your day to meet with the external video vendor, to work with them on storyboards and all of that. So we try to make it as easy as possible, try to do all the heavy lifting. So in a perfect world, they show up for a status call. We say, here are all the things that we've done. We just need you to sign off on them and we're ready to go. Like we're anticipating problems before they are problems. We're asking the questions that they know, we know that the client should be asking. Um, so I think that's the huge value that we bring is anticipating problems before they, come, they become problems, proactively communicating, always making sure that we're updating them on where we're at with projects, just trying to answer their questions before they can even ask them. That's, I think the what sets us apart because it can be very frustrating. It'd be very overwhelming to take on a video project. And if we can make it as painless as possible, that's what we strive to do. Well, there's that, but it's also, uh, yeah, we're touching on that. The, the reason we love our subcontractors and our contractors is because they're problem solvers for us. And we just want to be the problem solvers for our clients. Right. So when they call and say, Hey, we meant to shoot this in March when there's eight feet of snow on the ground and now we can't, <laughs> How are we going to do that? We say, give us an hour and we'll call you back and we'll have a solution. Um, and and so if we can continue to do that for our clients, that just means that's our value add. Right. Um, but for me personally, our goal was uh, and I'll, I'll just to pull the drapes back a little bit. What you saw was nowhere near what a professional set probably looks like, like the level of detail that goes into the scheduling on a on a movie set or like a million dollar ad campaign is completely different but what you saw is what we like to do because we want to keep it functional but still fun right and so we don't want it to be too serious but we do need to make sure that everything's accounted for but the bottom line and this is the the golden rule for us on every single production is we're there because we're passionate about what we do and we're going to have fun while we do it and as long as, as everyone's there, everyone knows their job, everyone's having fun and the problems are being solved, that's, that's the mm -hmm. recipe for success. Yeah. I think, yeah, and I think to add to that, I mean, I think there's something really important about having fun on set. I mean, I think personally, I, if I watch a video, you can sometimes tell, oh, 
whoever made that was really stressed out. <laughs> you know, and that's not a fun video to watch. That's not, a, you know, you can tell if the interview subject is stiff and nervous. You can tell, you know, there are things that you can pick up on that say to you, this person was really stressed out making this video. So we do think it's important too to have fun with it and to find joy in the process and, um, you know, to try to keep it light. And, you know, there's, there's always things that go wrong, but, um, yeah, you know, even just having music on, you know, on set, you know, it just goes little things like that go a long way. So you, you both are way too much fun. So there has to be something. <laughs> what keeps you both up at night? Uh, I, I don't know. I think, I think what's next is always the big, the big one, right? Like, okay, so we're about to wrap up this one and what's, what's on the horizon next. And, and that's always like the, as a, as a, um, self-employed person you know we own our business like it, it lives and dies by us um and so that's i think one of the things that keeps every business owner up is what's what's on the horizon mm -hmm. um but again like i've always been the um hey let's just do it and see what happens and that's what drives Lynn crazy because i'm like it's fine we, there's nothing on the horizon but it's okay it'll pop up once we get there um and and yeah that's that's it for me what's next yeah i think that's a good God, there's some i yeah, I have like anxiety just in general. So a lot of things keep me up at night. Um, but I think, I think so much of it is a mindset. Um, just, you know, figuring out how to turn. I have, a, I have a friend who always talks about like, eat your vegetables, you know, like there are things in business that are just not comfortable, that there are things that are going to go wrong. There are failures are going to happen. But like, what then is the opportunity? What can I learn from this? How can I grow? And so I, I try really hard to maintain a growth mindset always because, and to stay optimistic because it can be really easy to be pessimistic. You know, the economy might soften, you know, there, you know, there might be new competition in town, you know, there's, there's always things that could go wrong, but I think it's really important to maintain an optimistic attitude to think that, yeah, something can go wrong, but also tomorrow we could wake up and something really great could happen too. Um, so, so that's not, it's not really answering your question. We're kind of dancing <laughs> no. around the question. No, I, I, yeah, I think what's, that, that's always on the horizon. Yeah. Like what, yeah. what what's, is, next? what's next for us? Yeah. Look, I, I, I can relate. I can say personally for me, you know, when I think about what keeps me up at night, yeah, there's, there's the day-to-day -day stuff that I think most of us are conscious of, right? You know, you have budgets and clients and deadlines and expect, you know, it, essentially trying to service all these different things but you know when you look at the pipeline right and okay we have my family your family you have employees you have their family so th that's probably the biggest stress is like that backlog mm -hmm. for you both how do you manage the backlog only because i'd imagine um you, you can't have 20 projects going at once right you're trying to service each client you have different departments that you're working on you mentioned you could be in the editing bay and you know only so much can be handled and you have to since you put on this hat focus here and then go to the next yeah. one how do you manage backlog, especially if there's a sudden rush of demand, clients, deadlines, you know, to kind of decipher through what, what you can actually take on and, and do? Yeah. I mean, there's the knowing that you have to say no is, is the big one for us. Like knowing when to tell a client, we don't have time for this. We know we can tackle this in two weeks. And if that's not okay with you, then we totally understand you have to go find someone else. Obviously, if it's a repeat client and with someone we want to maintain, that's when we start leaning heavily on our contractors that we've worked with for the past 20 years. Um, and that's, I think for you guys, especially in the same industry, like as long as you have a great team that you can rely on to go do a job, you can be doing three, four or five things at once, you know? Um, so we have amazing guys, you've met them all. Then they, they, they can be editing for us. They can be shooting for us. They can be designing sound for us um, at any point in time. Half of them like to stay up till four in the morning. That works really well for us. That means that we can be sleeping and they can be working. Um, and so it's, it's just about finding that community of people that, that helps you pull off the job and, and hang on to them because <laughs> they are without a doubt, the only reason we succeed. Um, and the only reason that we will continue to succeed is because of this great group of people that we work with and great clients. Yeah. Is there a secret too? Because I think most companies at, at any level struggle a little bit with company culture, mm -hmm. retaining good people. Any secrets or formulas that have worked for you both? 
uh, respect and fun. Those are the only two that I, I mean, we, I've obviously, uh, I, Rob will not care that I share this, but Rob, you met Rob on the mm -hmm. set. He was there Rob first. Two. He's been with us the longest out of any contractor. Uh, he and I hated each other the first day <laughs> we met each other, like hated each other, did not want to see that guy again. Um, and then we had to work a couple other jobs together. And then you, you know, you start finding those similarities. It turns out where they were the exact same person. They're like an old married couple. It's <laughs> like, so funny. <laughs> um, but it's one of those like respect is deeper than just always being nice to someone, right? Like you can have your bad days. You can get into fights. We've had plenty of fights. He'll tell you all about the time I told him he had to stop wearing suits on my set <laughs> because I don't wear suits. Um, but anyway, I respect the hell out of the guy. Like he is my guy. Um, and I think, I hope he respects me as well. And that's something that as long as there's respect and as long as we can provide a fun atmosphere to work in, it's all okay. That's not saying that every atmosphere is enjoyable, but it'll, it should be fun. Like we had to drag Rob up to this remote area in uh, Northern Minnesota, technically Michigan, I guess, Isle Royal, not really his element, but he had a blast being out there. Um, and so we'll, we'll stick our people in some tough spots at times, but at least we'll have some fun doing it. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think being candid too, I think having candid conversations, you know, clear is kind as Brene Brown likes to say, she's an idol of mine. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, being honest, being truthful, um, you can do it in a respectful way, but I think it's, um, you know, you have to be upfront and honest and that goes with clients as well, being able to set boundaries and being able to, um, you know, be honest when, you know, if, if your bandwidth is tight or, um, you know, I just, yeah, I, th I just, I think being honest always is, is so important. And also with boundaries, being able to say, we're going to take a break now. Like we, we have, we have saturated ourselves. We need to, like, we're two people who we need to go off the grid. Like we work hard, play hard. Like we've worked really hard for three months and now we need to go to the boundary waters and turn off our cell phones and making sure that everyone on the team also feels like they can do that, that they can unplug and they can come back and we're not going to be upset with them for falling off the grid for a few days. I think that's something that we prioritize too is, is rest and making sure that you're taking care of yourself. It's interesting. I love that clear as kind comment because my experience, I mean, not just based on this interview, but knowing you both and seeing how you ran everything was that there's something to be said about um, being clear, you know, to make people accountable, setting realistic expectations, you know, having everything lined out to some extent just allows people to be successful working their box and which will create to company culture along with everything else you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I get, I get flack from my guys all the time for not being organized enough. Like I'll, I'll tell, like, if it wasn't for Lynn, the emails that would have gone for our shoot would have been, hey, guys, show up to Pella at uh, 7 a.m. on this day. And they'd have been like, cool. But they would have been like, it would really help to know what we're doing. Yeah. Whereas Lynn's like, hey, guys, here's what we're doing. Here's where you need to be. Here are all, here all the spreadsheets. The um, but again, it, it comes down to having that crew that that they'd be like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll be there. And they'll be wondering what's going on, but they're still going to get the job done. Um but we rely on them heavily. Like I said, they, they are a huge part of the creative process. So um, can't do it without them. So maybe this goes a little bit into the marketing process, but first big break, you know, and you know, marketing, what does that look like now for the brand and how you've expanded? Uh, you cut out just a little bit there. What was that? First oh, I was saying from your side, you know, marketing, how does that play a role? You know, maybe this goes in line with the first big break, you know, first big contract you got that kind of set you apart and, you know, how, how have you marketed your brand and company now? So in the beginning, um, I don't know how we did it, but we had a buddy of mine in Alaska who did it, knew a little bit about software design and, and, and website development. And somehow he coded SEO in perfectly. And we were like number one on Google within a week. Um, and we just kind of held on to that in, in Iowa. That was 17 um, years ago. That was 17 so years ago. Yeah, it was, it, so it was just <laughs> like a freak, you know, lucky kind of thing. Um, for me, uh, the, I'm going to expose my secret here. There, there's this movie um, called Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. I don't know if you've seen that, but mm -hmm. there's scene in that movie where he's trying to get ahead in work and he can't because he has a very finite amount of time. And he's been given a list of numbers he has to call and it's start at the bottom, work your way to the top. And he's like, I got, I have no time to work from the bottom. So he's like, you know what? I'm calling the dude at the top of the list who happens to be the big client. Um, and and we, I, I, I don't know, that resonated with me. So for me, it was like, I'm kind of done trying to like start at the bottom and, and 
figure out the small gigs and work way, my way to the top. And so I just started calling people at the top of the list, you know, and I reached out to the people at Red Bull um, and I said, hey, I'm, I live in Iowa. What do you got? And they said, actually, we have a shoot in Chicago. Can you be there tomorrow? And I said, yes, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> and that was our big break there. Um, and so we've kind of taken that and used that on every single project we've done. If there's, if there's a client we want to work with, um, we've just figured out a way to call that person at the head of the line and figure out a way to get in there. Now, 20 years later, we have a resume we can actually kind of bring to the table. Back then, it was a little more like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work, but we're going to try it. And it seemed to work. Um, but then also with Lynn's organizational um, uh, awareness and everything, she's now developed. Our, our, it's a lot about just keeping our website fresh and keeping the SEO up there. So we're still relative or, or um, um uh, Google still sees yeah. us as something who should be seen. <laughs> well, and I think, I think too, positioning ourselves as, um, problem solvers and as a, as a resource for, you know, if, you know, we, I put a lot of tips and tricks on LinkedIn about video production, cause it's kind of an unknown, scary thing for a lot of people. So I think positioning ourselves as we're here to help you, we can, you know, help solve your problems. Um, I think that's brought us a lot of success in recent years is just being that resource and maybe you'll want to work with us. Maybe, maybe we were not going to be the right fit, but maybe we will be, and we're here to help you and guide you through this. Um, and I think also like our, you know, our big focus with the, we did the documentary film about Lake Superior and we, we've done a, we're, you know, really hoping to continue to do more, you know, outdoor environmental facing work, um, you know, about, about the environment, about the planet. Um, so that's something that's kind of, brewing right now Ian kind of mentioned it a little bit but yeah up at, in Isle Royal and we're, we're doing some work up in northern Minnesota um so I think keeping our our fingers in kind of those passion projects and seeing where that leads that's led to a couple of really great client work in recent months too that's kind of parallel to that so um yeah it's interesting it's, it's funny how where your passion can lead you like you we just we didn't know where this Lake Superior thing was going to lead and it's led us to a lot of really great contacts and clients who want similar work for their brands. So um, yeah, I, mean, I think that's a lesson for all of us is you just putting yourself out there and just kind of following your gut, not really knowing where it's going to go, but having faith that it's going to lead you in the right direction is, is um, it pays off. And then just to kind of put a period on that sentence, like you can have all the amazing marketing in the world and you can have all the people knocking on your door, but if you're a big jerk <laughs> <laughs> and people have a negative experience, repeatedly that's going to get around right and so again it all comes back to having fun and and we we have we have the networking resources and we've gotten our name out there and i think that we've consistently provided a fun uh professional atmosphere for people to work with and they're gonna keep passing that down the road so when more people contact us or more people reach out about us they'll know that you know we're going to be a good good group to work for and that's that's important for us it's like the most important thing is make sure everyone has a good experience in the end well, I love that. I mean, there's, it goes back to that kind comment, you know, that Lynn made, but the reality is, I mean, it's one thing to make the call to Red Bull, but you know, there, there's a, a journey there. You both had experience and you, you know, the value propositions there. So there's, you know, for you to go to the top, you know, there, there's some background there. Um, as we close here and I want to be sensitive to your time, what do you both do for fun? Hmm. Um, so like, like Lynn alluded to, we love to get off the grid. We love to go to the boundary waters uh, and, and camp. That's enjoying the outdoors is kind of a big one for us. Um, I have recently uh, kind of thrown a wrench in that process where now I'm also a firefighter on the side and so <laughs> oh, nice. for the last two years, like training a bunch. And so I'm making it really hard to leave the city. Um, but we're almost done with all that. And we'll get back to, to, uh, um, to, I think though, that's, he's, you're finding a lot of joy in that. Like, uh, yeah. I think that's the most fun you've had in a long time is being a firefighter. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 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 How about you? Does, yeah, I just getting outside. Um, I have a paddle board. That's like my favorite thing to do is just to go for a paddle, just being, having, just finding quiet time in nature. Um, I never, I never used to like camping until I met him and he showed me all the gear and now <laughs> we go camping all year round. So um, in Minnesota, in Northern Minnesota. <laughs> Amazing. I'd we'll love to take you winter camping with us sometime, Brad. I'm not coming unless it's like June. <laughs> August. The, uh, it's funny. Uh, the photographer you met on the shoot, the still photographer, the camera guy, Dave, yeah. um, he and I, uh, the, the cold chamber you went into that was yep. below, 
the, the last time Dave and I went winter camping, it was uh, 55 below. Oh. Um, and that was not in a cold chamber. That was just in nature. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd, you'd enjoy it up here. <laughs> There's no way I'm surviving. It's all right. Don't I went Arizona. to Arizona either. So. <laughs> so, so for those listening, Ian and Lynn, you've been incredible. Just can't thank you enough. You know, where can they find you? Where can they find us? Uh, 515productions.com. And we're also on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. But uh, yeah, you can drop us a line at our website, 515productions.com. Well, I can't thank you both enough. It's been fun working with you. And uh, again, going back to my earlier comments, I've been having Ian and Lynn withdrawals is what I meant to say. So, <laughs> well, so I, anytime, I, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, hit me up next time in Arizona. I'm sure I'll see you again soon. So thank yeah. you again. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.